You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. First Corinthians chapter 2. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Yet, we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man all that God has prepared for those who love Him. For to us God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God. Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no man. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he should instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful this morning for your Son and for the fact that you have given us his mind. For without that, we would not understand the Scripture. Without the Holy Spirit, we would not understand the Scripture. None of us can claim special wisdom of our own selves, but all of us can claim the testimony that Christ has redeemed us, he has redeemed our minds, and as we learn more and more of his glory and of his wisdom, we want to serve you and love you more. So this morning, as we look into your word, let that be our ambition. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I've been studying through this, I'm clear to chapter 3 now. And, and the pattern is clear that Paul has. He is, and I say this in a proper way, he's setting the Corinthians up for the further instruction that he's going to give them. Because their theology has not led to good behavior. Therefore, their theology is bad. Comparing it with Scripture, they'll find out. And so, as he prepares them more and more, he's building a foundation of making certain that they understand that they are brethren, they are saved. But that even brethren can get tripped up, can do the wrong thing, can say the wrong thing, can believe the wrong thing. And the only remedy is the Spirit of God and the Word of God. Not the wisdom of men, not the philosophies of men, 
Not the best encyclopedias. You can learn about the depth of the Marianas Trench in the best encyclopedia. And it'll be accurate probably to within 30 inches, 36 inches, 3 feet, a meter. Well, we're Americans. 3 feet. But it will tell you nothing about the great questions of life. Who are we? Why are we here? Where are we going? What is life about? The Corinthians were still trying to get their information from the wisdom of man in regard to the things that are most important. And Paul is telling them it's not going to work. Everybody who's been there and done that and has the t-shirt will testify that the t-shirt burns in hell just as well as any other article of clothing. So he is, last week we left off with um, verses 2, I believe, and 3. Yes. He says, I, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now that's again not to say that Paul didn't preach the whole counsel of God. But with this group, he brought it all back. Don't you remember the crucifixion? Don't you remember what Jesus has done for you? Don't you remember that all of your sins were nailed to the cross? But that that should result in different behavior? And then he said, I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. Not that he was afraid of the Corinthians. Paul, I believe, was a fearless man. He was one of those folks who knew that God had work for him to do, and until that work was done, he was indestructible. He was bulletproof. Well, there were no bullets back then. He was swordproof. And so he acted and he lived that way, but he loved the Corinthians so much, cared for them so much, he founded the church, that he was in fear and trembling that they would walk this way, that they would ignore, that they would eschew, if you would, the, the teaching of the cross. The message of the cross. The simple words of the cross. It's not that difficult to understand to a spirit-empowered mind. Now, we'll talk about this later on as we get to it. But to an unbelieving mind, it's gobbledygook. Um, that's a cool word. I, I need to look up the etymology on that. I will have the etymology on that word for you next week. Gobbledygook. Unless it's crass. So he says, I was with you with fear in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. He's concerned about the direction they're going. And, and that's going to constrain, the Holy Spirit will do this for him, because the Holy Spirit, interesting too in this section, he talks about the words of God and the word of God. And they're, 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 they're combined, but they're, they're separate. That will constrain him to move forward, literally here, in a manner that will help this group of people who don't seem to recognize that bad theology produces bad behavior. But we know that. Have any of us ever had any bad behavior? There's probably a couple of us in here that have behaved badly. I, I'll, I have. And, <laughs> okay, well, then if you need to know what it's like, talk to me afterwards and I'll tell you what it's like. It was bad theology. It was ignoring truth. Those are the kinds of things that produce bad behavior. Pride, arrogance. And so Paul says, I was with you in weakness and fear and trembling. I worried about you. Worried is maybe a, the wrong word, but he was concerned that they wouldn't. They weren't following. They were babes in Christ. He's going to talk about that. And they shouldn't have been. How, how long would it take, and, and everybody's going to be different, but how long would it take a dedicated, studying Christian to begin to assimilate some of the more difficult truths of Scripture? A month? Six months? How about two years? A couple years? Yeah. For dummies like me, 30 maybe. But for people who spend time in the Word and have good counselors, year, year and a half, two years, they're going to start understanding more and more of the, the marvelous things of Scripture. 
Well, that's where the Corinthians were. and He'll talk about that. And so in verse 4, which we'll start out with, he says, In my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit of power. If you provide, and I hope if I'm ever guilty of doing this, I want to know about it. If, you, if we provide an emotional appeal, we will receive, probably, an emotional response. If we provide an intellectual appeal to the sinner, we will receive an intellectual response. It is only by the Holy Spirit and the power of the Word of God for both the, believe, the believing message giver and the prospective message hearer. It's only by the Spirit of God that the proper appeal can be made to the heart of a sinner. Now, that doesn't mean we just hold back until we think we have seen that combination. No, God gave us the Word to, to preach and the message to spread. And He will prepare the hearts. He will plow the ground. Of course, the Holy Spirit will already have been at work on the heart of the person to whom the biblical appeal is being made. And so Paul made certain the Corinthians knew that both his message, the reasoning, and his preaching, the proclamation, would be devoid of manipulation. If you just send $50 to me and send this on to your friends, God will bless you in three and a half ways this day. How many of you have seen that? That is so bogus. But people fall for it. And the Corinthians were falling for things. He would preach a message that got results because he said of the power of the Holy Spirit, because of the power of God, because of the persuasion of the Holy Spirit and the power of God, the work of the Holy Spirit and the power of God. The gospel is the power of God, and everyone in this room knows that power. You all know it. The Corinthians knew it, and you know it personally. You know the change it's made in you. Um, you know the difference it has wrought in you, and you know the love you have now for your Savior. And it's different. Maybe the day after you were saved, you were ready to take on hell with a squirt gun. And as you matured, hopefully you continued that fervor, but it was moderated with proper biblical teaching, and you knew that that wasn't your responsibility to take on hell with a squirt gun. Was it? Ron? It could be. It could be. That takes great prayer and concern and care. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yes. Not walking up to them and saying, oh, okay, so Ron is talking about the idea that maybe God is putting into his heart to, to reach out to people who are struggling with this. That's what I was assuming you were saying. Or anything. You don't walk up to them and say, do you know you're a Corinthian? If they have any teaching at all, that's going to be really offensive. <laughs> no, I know you weren't. I know you weren't. I know you were Especially as much as I know you, you wouldn't do that. So, as the, if the Holy Spirit's going to work on them, the ground's been plowed, and we go up to them and we begin to share these things. It's going to have an effect. You may not see the effect. And then later on it happens. But Paul said, he, Paul wasn't worried if you were about that because his, his, um, his, his, uh, expectation was founded not in words and wisdom, words of wisdom, men's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and power, the Word of God. He knew that if he did what you're talking about, the results, we can leave the results to God, we really can. <laughs> so, uh, the Corinthians know, they knew that they were redeemed, the brethren, and you know it. You know the work God has done in you, you know the, the love you have for the Savior, and, and it's from, not persuasive words of wisdom, but it's from the Word of God and the power of the Spirit. 
There's no man or woman that can claim, well, I'm the one that made you the way you are. You answered it. It's because of me. No, it's because of the power of God. It's because of the work of the Holy Spirit. Spurgeon said it this way. He said, the power that is in the gospel does not lie in the eloquence of the preacher. Otherwise, men would be converters of souls. Men would be the converters of souls. Nor does it lie in the preacher's learning. Otherwise, it would consist in the learning, in the wisdom of men. We might preach until our tongues rotted, till we would exhaust our lungs. But never a soul would be converted unless the Holy Spirit be with the Word of God and give it the power to convert the soul. There's the combination. So you can be halting and uncertain, but if you're coming from the Scripture and you're bathing it in prayer, God will use it. Don't wait until you're eloquent and wonderful. Because Paul says that's not what it's about. And besides, for people like me, that ain't going to happen. The power that is in the gospel does not lie in the eloquence of the, speech, of the preacher. Otherwise, men would be the converters of souls. I don't want to be the converter of souls. That's a horrifying responsibility. I want to be the messenger. That's all I want to be. And the encourager and the comforter to the degree that men can do that. But the Holy Spirit and the Word are what convert people. And so he said his message and his preaching were not a persuasive words of wisdom, but a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And it was a demonstration that the Corinthians knew about because they were converted by it. We all know about that demonstration, don't we? At some point in our lives. Now, you may not be able to. It's not important that you can pinpoint. Well, I was saved on July 17, 1979 at 2.54 p.m. in the afternoon. 28 seconds, actually. Anybody know that? Are you any less saved? No, because it's in the power of the Spirit, demonstration of the Spirit in power. Any comments, any questions about verse 4? Moving on to verse 5. So, so that your faith, as we've already kind of expostulated, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. If the Corinthians... Faith had to find its origination and substance in man's wisdom, then it would have had at least 50 different points, 50 different starting points. Remember we talked about all the different philosophers? If it found its origination in man's wisdom, there were at least 50 different ways it could have started. And as many more flights of fancy into the realms of stupidity from each of those 50 points, as you can, you can't count them, the different ways men have come up with. Even if the Corinthians' faith had found its foundation in Paul's wisdom, it would falter and fall at some point because Paul was simply a man. Paul and Barnabas had an argument. Do any of us really know who was right there about that dispute over Mark, John Mark? We're going to find out, those of us who need to assess blame. And I'm not talking about me. But one of them was wrong. Probably. Most likely. But is it important? Not in the great scheme of things. But, oh, most certainly God used it. Romans 8.28. Most certainly, but God can use, He can take the 56 trillion things that happen in any given second and work them all to His good. But somebody made a mistake there. At least that's my opinion. Somebody, because there was anger, there was a follow-up, somebody had to apologize, there was resolution to it. Paul eventually reached out and said, uh, I'm trying to remember, it was in Colossians, where he, he reminded them to take to be good to John Mark, to be good to Mark. So, they had obviously solved that, when at one point Paul said, I want him with me. 
Now he's saying, oh, he's a good man. So obviously that got sorted out. But again, what I'm getting at is, even Paul's wisdom would falter. Even Paul's wisdom. Their faith and ours finds its foundation in the power of God and in his wisdom. And it's that unchanging nature of God's word that gives both finality and comfort to a believer who trusts in it. This is, this is unchanging. It's a rock. It's something that is the same every day. I'm not. Ask my wife. But this doesn't change. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever as the Lord Jesus Christ is. Paul's preaching of the gospel as inspired by the Holy Spirit was careful to center on the cross of Christ and the wisdom of God as revealed to him, especially after his Damascus Road experience, coupled with the Old Testament prophecies. He would whet the appetite and then feed the spiritual person with the preaching of the cross. He did not use dishonest and superficial methods. One commentator put it this way. He said, Many people use slick, entertaining, or even deceptive means to lure people into the church and justify it by saying, we're drawing them in and then winning them to Jesus. But the principle stands. What you, with, what you draw them with is what you draw them to. Draw them with the Lord Jesus Christ. Draw them with the cross and the demands and the truth of the cross so that their faith will not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Any comments? That's not to say you can't use anecdote and, and stories, and, but they must be periphery to the centrality of the message of the cross. It, it should almost be, it's not monotonous, the cross is not monotonous. But there are things that other people, that we talk about. Um, if you get me talking about Green Bay, you're going to eventually think that it's really monotonous. You know, Bart Starr really wasn't that important in the great scheme of things. But not the cross. It never becomes monotonous. In this next section, verses 6 through 16, Paul emphasizes the idea that only those who are truly seeking the wisdom of God and who have been transformed by the power of His Holy Spirit will truly find God's wisdom. There are those who will receive God's wisdom and those who won't. And we can't live their lives for them. Sometimes we'd like to. There's a contrast between the Spirit of God and the Spirit of the world. And then a contrast between the natural and the spiritual person. It is the allegiance the Corinthians had to their worldly philosophers and wisdom that prevented them from seeing the true wisdom of God. You can't take partial truths and mix them with the real truth and come out with anything but error. The truth, I, I, I'm trying to remember, it's in Haggai where I think the question was asked if you... If you had something in your, if you, if you uh, touch an unclean thing, does it make you unclean or does it make the unclean thing clean? And the people answer, oh, it makes you unclean. Well, that's just the same thing. You can't mix partial truths with Scripture and expect to comport with the wisdom of God. So Paul says in verse 6, yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. Um, and bear in mind, that was um, treasonous talk in those days. Who were the rulers of that age? It would have been the emperors of Rome. And he was saying, they're passing away. Everybody passes away. We just heard that Nancy Reagan passed away. Everybody. John Wayne said it best. Everybody gets to die. No, he said it. Everybody gets dead some way. It happens. But some get dead and some get really dead, if you will. Um, so, Paul 
was willing to impart wisdom to those to whom he discerned were ready. The Corinthian wisdom was a wisdom that James spoke of. The Corinthians struggled with jealousy and ambition. <laughs> Two types of wisdom. Um, the Corinthians, they struggled with jealousy and ambition. They were arrogant and self-seeking. They took one another to court over small things as well as large. And they were hypocritical. James describes that type of wisdom, and then he compares it to the wisdom that is from above. This wisdom from above would be the wisdom not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, Paul said. Paul said that. And here's what James said. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes from down from above, but is earthly, natu uh, natural, and demonic. The wisdom of the natural man and demonic. Those are, those are coupled together. Earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and, and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. If your theology is wrong, your behavior will be wrong. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. <laughs> and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That's the wisdom that comes from above. Paul, now, he's not saying that he only speaks wisdom when he is with mature, advanced believers. All of the wisdom of God is wise. <laughs> it's like a redundancy, but there it is. So, I'm not saying that you <coughs> go into convoluted eschatology with fourth graders. That's not what I'm talking about. But what I am saying is, is nothing about Scripture is to be hidden from those who seek the wisdom of Scripture. There's no group of elites who are the ones who are special, and we will have the full wisdom, and we'll share it with you when we deem your time is ready, when we deem your, you are elevated enough. That's not what Paul, that's not going to happen in the economy of God. Now, you can tailor the message to the person you're speaking to. You can tailor the message to the purported, um, um, the distance they come in, in the Word of God so that you don't confuse. But the point is, none of it is hidden from the believer. There's not some group of section of Scripture, you know, Jude chapter, well, there's only one chapter. I would pick that book and say that. First John chapter 3 that you only share with people who have been Christians for 70 years. That's, it's all available to the Christian, to the believer. All of it. So, He's not saying that at all. What he's saying is that he only imparts that kind of wisdom to those who are born again. What good is it to cast pearls before swine if they are intentionally and will not and are, and are not interested and they make it very clear to you? We all know that there's a special kind of communication that occurs between believers that can't occur between believers and unbelievers. It's not that believers have secrets. It's just that some of the things that Christians talk about only make sense to other believers. Sometimes I listen to Thomas talk about the things that have to do with computers. And when he's all done, you can see a little bit of drool coming out of the corner of my mouth and, and this faraway look in my eyes. And I go, he said a whole bunch of words and I don't know what it meant. But I'll bet it was cool. I'll bet servers and, well, I don't even know the words. There's no secret society or special sect or advanced group. There are just those who are in Christ and those who are not. Now, granted, as you mature in the faith, 
you become more and more understanding of the truths of Scripture. You begin to apply, you, you add to your faith virtue and you add to your virtue knowledge and you, apply, and you get more and more foundation so that you can understand the, the things in the Old Testament and how they relate. And as you read the Bible more, read through the Bible, year to year, read through the New Testament, read through books. What my challenge this week was to read through the book of Esther uh, every day. And I have to confess to you, Ron, I just haven't gotten it every day, but I've, I've read through it three times now. And I thought I knew the book of Esther. There's so much in that book that is so cool that I, and I, so I got four pages of notes. And I didn't get much done in my Sunday school lesson. It's all your fault. But I really enjoyed it. That's what we need to be doing. The, studying the scripture and, and maybe the more obscure books. I remember when I was given the instruction years ago as a young, a young Christian, this was like 30 years ago, and I, I don't know why they gave me this instruction, and I didn't do a very good job, but I was to teach through the minor prophets. Oba who? Did he play basketball for the Knickers? Not the New York Knickers? Obadiah. I didn't even know who he was. But when I studied the book, I discovered a lot about Esau and the Old Testament and the, and the Jewish rivalries. At any rate, I guess what I'm getting at, there's no secret society, no special sect, that there are just those who are in Christ and those who are not. Now, granted, as I said, as you mature, you, begin, you have more and more of an understanding of Scripture and how it applies in your life and how different sections of Scripture meet and match and complement each other and translate each other and, and, and illuminate each other. And it's a wonderful thing. It doesn't make you better than anyone else. It just makes you more taught. Paul is emphasizing throughout this section that true wisdom cannot be discovered by humans. It's only divinely revealed by God. And those who are born again and have that bond with one another are able to understand one another in a special way. Teaching will necessarily, and I wrote this this morning as I was thinking through this, teaching may necessarily be tailored to age, age in Christ, but nothing is kept, again, for a special group. All the wisdom of God is available to every believer as he seeks it. And there are so many sects, um, heresies, that teach that there are people who should know more and have more and will always have more and there are people who will always have less. Well, that's up to you. That's up to you and your dedication to the Word of God. He spoke, he spoke wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. The Corinthian believers were immature, and Paul notes that in chapter 3. And, and we're going to get to that sometime this year. And I, brethren, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. And I, brethren... He says, I could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of flesh. And that's an interesting word. Actually, there was a, an old English word for it, as I could only speak to you as fleshen. Men of flesh. Fleshen. It's an interesting word. We'll get to that. As to infants in Christ, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able. If for you are still fleshly, fleshen. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? Their behavior revealed their immaturity. That's how we can, you can classify kids. The toddlers are pretty immature, aren't they? Although I've seen some who were, I think, more mature than some of the people I had to deal with at the mobile home court I managed 30 years ago. But that's neither here nor there. Sometimes it's easy to see when people are immature. He was choosing words that the Corinthians loved to bandy about, such as wisdom, intelligent, noble, and others. 
But his message to the believers, the perfect one, which is what the Greek word translates, although here it is translated as mature in the New American Standard, was the wisdom, his wisdom was the wisdom of God. And to whatever degree of maturity each one of them had attained, there would be a commensurate understanding of the wisdom he was important to them. Have you ever noticed that when Jim preaches and you talk to someone afterwards, each of you got a different message from the Spirit? It was similar, but you were convicted in different areas. Isn't that beautiful? He, he, can, he can get up there and preach the unadulterated Word of God with the full confidence that the Holy Spirit will, will pinpoint the needs of each one in here and bring that message as it is preached to their heart. Convict, encourage, exhort, reprove, teach, instruct. It's a wonderful thing. And it's something that is really only, only God's Word can do. God's Word and God's words. Two different things. Two special things. Um, each would receive what the Holy Spirit intended for them at that time, as we do when we're preached to during the Sunday morning's uh, message. Unbelievers would not understand it at all because it was spiritually discerned. And I've got, wait till we get to that section. That, that was an amazing when we get to where he really digs into that. Messages can be tailored to age, but nothing will be hidden or reserved for an elite. just want to remind us of that. All of us, the ground at the foot of the cross is as level as it gets. Any comments about verse 6? Questions? But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God predestined, predestined, before the ages to our glory. The wisdom here spoken of in the mystery is one that is, is the one that has been manifested to the saints, as Paul said in Colossians. Colossians 1, chapter, 20, uh, chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. He said, that is, the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, the mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Again, this was revealed by God and could not be discovered by human reasoning or research. Only those whose hearts the Holy Spirit has moved would be open and able to understand this mystery. And, and for me, that was a hard, that's still a hard thing because I know people who are so much smarter than me and they don't get it. And, and you're thinking to yourself, it's not that complicated. It's not that complicated. It's really not. I get it. My IQ is less... You know, I get it. And we'll get to that. I don't want to steal my own thunder. Only, again, those whose hearts the Holy Spirit has moved would be open to and able to understand this mystery. Not that saints are smarter or more accomplished, but simply that they are chosen by the Father in His sovereign will. The mysteries, if you will, that the Gentiles would be included in the children of the Father and as the bride of Christ, and that it is by grace through faith that this is accomplished, these mysteries were from eternity past. Romans 16, 25 and 26. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past but is now manifested and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the eternal God has been made known to all nations, all the nations leading to, the obedience, leading to obedience of faith that it is faith it is faith. Ephesians 2. Excuse me. Ephesians 3. 2 through 12. I want to read the whole thing. If indeed you have heard the steward of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief, by referring to this, when you read 
you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles. The apostles had special insight. You need to remember that. And prophets in the spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. Paul never, never wavers, never changes from his, his stipulation that it is the power and the wisdom of God, according to his power. To me, he said, the very least of all saints. I've always wondered about that. I wonder if he really is or if it was hyperbole. Either way, it's a marvelous statement. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places because they didn't know. They didn't know what the result would be when they got Jesus on that cross. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. And then in Luke chapter 8 and he said, verse 10, to you, Jesus said, it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God but to the rest it is in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. And then finally, another mystery, that all saints will be conformed to the image of Christ. First, Second Corinthians 3.18, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. First Corinthians 15.49, Just as we have borne the image of the earthy, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. And then Philippians 3.21, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He is even to subject all things to Himself. And then finally, 1 John 3.2, Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. So those are the mysteries that Paul's talking about, at least some of them. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. Now note that he's given that information to people whom he will later say are babes. They haven't been paying attention. They haven't been living what he gave them 18 months ago or two years ago. Or three, I'm not sure exactly. He founded the church. He stayed there 18 months. He sent Apollos back and then he wrote the letter. So, he speaks God's wisdom in a mystery. And these are the mysteries that, that came to mind as I was studying this section. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. To our. He includes the Corinthians. So, and as Ron pointed out this morning, it's important that when we're talking to believers and trying to help them with the counseling needs they may have, that we remind ourselves and them that we are in this together. We're no better than them. Any comments, questions about verse 7? Verse 8, and here's this interesting one. Imagine if the devil had a time machine and he could look into the future and see all the things that the crucifixion of Christ would have accomplished. He would have changed his plan. I think. I think he would have been smart enough to change his plan. But that was not the wisdom of God. No one can see the future but the Trinity. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood, none of the rulers at the time, for if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. 
For the rulers of the time, the people, and the demons, and the devil himself, if they had been partakers of the wisdom of God, the future knowing, the future understanding of God, they would have never killed the Lord Jesus. Because it would become clear to them that his death would complete their undoing. So, and so it is that there's this, it's a, it's a, a tension where we can be grateful that the Lord Jesus was sacrificed. And at the same time sad. Devastated of the way they treated him. But so grateful that he did it. Because of his, because of his doing, everything was nailed to the cross. All of the plans of evil, of evil were undone in that one action. This takes us... Um, his death would be their complete undoing. And if they had seen that, they would not have crucified, Paul said, the Lord of glory. Um, this takes us back to verse 18 in chapter 1, which reminds us that this is, in fact, the teaching of the cross. That symbol of the application of justice to a criminal was, in fact, a body of divine wisdom that predicted, caused, and finished the downfall of the rulers of this age and all ages to come. That one act was all it took to do everything God needed to do. Everything. Everything will be in subjection to the Lord Jesus Christ, and it was accomplished by the work He did on the cross. When Paul gave Jesus the title, the Lord of Glory, in this section, if they had, no, had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of Glory. Um, many commentators believe that this is probably the loftiest title He ever gave to, to the Lord, to Jesus. It, it was another demonstration that he believed him to be God himself. For he would never have given a title such as this to any lesser being. It is likely that Paul was actually reaching into his memory and taking this title right out of Psalm 24, which says, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. Who is David talking about? Jehovah. Jehovah God. Do you think Paul knew this psalm? Or this, yeah, this psalm? He probably did. He wrote the one just before it. Although, <laughs> that doesn't mean he, well, never mind, we won't get into that. Stephen also used this title just before he went to be with Christ in Acts chapter 7, verse 2. And he said, Hear me, brethren and fathers, a man who was unafraid of what was befallen him because he believed the wisdom of God and not the wisdom of men. Hear me, brethren and fathers, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. The God of glory. Stephen used the same term. And so Paul acknowledges in this section that even if, if, if the rulers of this age had understood what was going on, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. The second person of the Trinity. Any questions? Comments? You know, I don't think we can get through verse 9. But um, we're going to try. We've got three minutes. Verse 9. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen, and ear is not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love Him. So this is a loose, if you will, quotation of Isaiah 64.4 and 65.17. How many of you have shared a scripture with somebody and you told them? You know, this isn't the exact words, but here's, here's 
this is from Scripture, and then you, you said something out, and, and it was accurate. It wasn't perfect because it wasn't the exact words that the Holy Spirit breathed into the teachers, but you got the gist of it. Have you ever done that? And the person you were helping, they got the gist of it too. Well, that's what Paul's doing here. <laughs> Although he's doing it under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 64.4 says, For from days of old they have not heard... Do I have this up here? I do, so we'll get these exact words. For from days of old they have not heard nor or perceived by ear, nor has the eyes seen a God beside you who acts in behalf of the one who waits for him. And then verse 17 of 65, For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. Paul uses this information from the Old Testament. It's not an exact quote, but rather it's, a, it's like he was saying, to use the language of Scripture, to use the language of Scripture, to firm up the idea that those things which only God can reveal would never come to man through his eyes, his ears, or his heart. Especially his heart. Jeremiah, 7, Jeremiah 17. I think that's where it's at. For the heart is desperately wicked. He could not study to find them out, nor could he feel them. See there, I just did it. <laughs> you knew what I was talking about though, didn't you? Good. But look it up in Jeremiah. It's more accurate. To firm up the idea that those things which only God can reveal would never come to man through his eyes, his ears, or his heart. He could not study to find them out, nor could he feel them. These things were prepared in eternity past only for those whom He has chosen for His Son and who by faith have trusted Christ by grace. It is unlikely that Paul is referring to the wonders of heaven or creation here. And I always thought he was when I read this section. Um, but interestingly, as I studied it out, but rather he was referring to the wonder of salvation and all that attends it. The blessing of the Father who sovereignly chooses and gives eternity to those whom He loves. Um, a father who translates his children from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. A father who sovereignly decrees that those whom he has chosen will become like his son. These are referring to present things in the Corinthians' life for us, for them. Adam Clark said in his commentary, he said, These words have been applied to the state of glory in a future world, but certainly they belong to the present state and express merely the wondrous light, life, and liberty which the gospel communicates to them which believe in the Lord Jesus Christ in that way which the gospel itself requires. It communicates a beauty that we have today. A wonder that we have today. A delight that we have today. Knowing what's in store for us. If you knew, well, I, there's nothing I can compare to, so I'm not going to try. The fact is that there are plenty of things we can learn by inquiry, research, and by applying our own intellect. But the truly important things, the cosmically eternal things, can only be given by revelation. For us as believers, it's a constant delight as we study Scripture, to find out more and more what God has done for us at salvation. We don't know everything, and frankly, when we check out, we still won't know everything. Well, maybe some of us will, but I won't. We won't know everything. We, on the great continuum of knowledge, we'll just be started. If you drew a line, I don't know what the comparison would be, but we would just be started. The them, there is no one especially gifted to receive certain things from the Spirit. Paul says that uh, only for, for us as believers, it's a constant delight. We don't know everything. We won't know it when we check out. I'm going back over stuff because I've lost my place. But we can accumulate information that is stunning, delightful, fulfilling, and beautiful. And it's not just information. As, as one of the fellows I served with in another church years ago always told me, it's a, it's a, it's a, a relationship. It's not just information. It's a relationship. Information about the wonders that God has waiting for us and the fabulous life He has for us now. 
Revel in the things that he has given us. Let's end with this. They are gifts from his sovereign hand that we had no right to expect, but that we have every opportunity to live in and to delight in, whether it's family, friends, church body, the, the wonders of Scripture as we learn more and more about what Jesus has done for us. We need to recognize that it is today those things are given to us. and We can delight in them today. Let's pray. Father, you bring good things to us every day of our lives. For every good gift come down, comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no shadow of turning. And we are just delighted to receive them. Let us always have a great heart of gratefulness, recognizing that you chose us. We didn't do this. A heart of gratefulness that recognizes that you even give us the wisdom we need every day to live for you. Let us do that today. I thank you. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.